0: Celebrates 65 years of community radio. And you're listening to 94.1 KPFA in Berkeley, also 89.3 KPFB in Berkeley, 88.1 KFCF in Fresno, and online at KPFA.org. The time is 3 PM. Stay tuned for cover to cover. Happy ending, nice and tidy, it's a rule I learned in school, get your money every Friday. Happy ending. darkness From the ones who walk in light Light them up, boys There's your picture Drop the shadows Out of This is Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw. Let's see today. Today is Tuesday, April the 8th, 2014. Who said April is the cruelest month? (laughs) Anyway, uh, I could hardly tear myself away from the television. I was watching uh, a magnificent old picture on Turner Classic's... uh, It's called Madame X, dated uh, 1937. Aha. I recommend it. Uh, It's the movie about the woman who uh, Mm. is unfaithful to her husband, and he throws her in the street, and she becomes a streetwalker, and eventually she... uh, Kills somebody actually her husband also took away her little boy her little child and somebody has threatened to tell her little boy what has become of her and she kills him anyway at this point uh uh let's see when she kills this guy uh her um uh, her lawyer turns out to be this young man <laughs> this this uh, son of hers yes uh what a kick um Anyway, I digress. Uh, the woman goes to her death with her secret safe. No one will ever tell uh, such a beautiful young man. She kisses him goodbye. She says, may I give you a mother's kiss? It's the most maudlin movie I think I ever saw. And they've remade it three or four times. I I think it's just a hoot. Next time I have a, a film film class, I'm going to start with that movie and... Ask the uh, youth of today what they think of that sort of, uh, what is that, maudlin self-indulgence. Anyway, uh, I am actually still, way back in the 19th century, I've been there for weeks and weeks. I'm hanging out with those women writers, my literary saints, my prophets and philosophers, even, even the tragic ones, the ones who... Couldn't live the lives they sought, you know. They longed for liberty, and uh, Emily Bronte, of course, was the most dramatic, powerful, even in the face of death. I'm looking here to see uh, what Charlotte wrote about that. Charlotte was very, very... uh, What's the word? She was... She was very in awe of her sister. She thought that her sister might just be the greatest of them all, especially when she discovered some of her poetry. I guess Emily didn't share it sometimes. Uh, Anyway, when Emily was dying, uh, Charlotte writes, yes, this is is in the preface to the 1850 edition of Wuthering Heights. By that time, Charlotte could uh, write without crying. She writes, Never in all her life, Emily's life, Never in all her life had she lingered over any task that lay before her. And she did not linger now. She sank rapidly. She made haste to leave us. I have seen nothing like it, but indeed, I have never seen her parallel in anything. Stronger than a man. Simpler, Than a child. Her nature stood alone. I guess, uh, I guess Charlotte understood the power, uh, of her sister. She, of course, wrote love stories, Charlotte. (laughs) Yes, she, she was, um, more of a moralist than Emily. I don't know why that was, it's just that, uh, She was into sweetness, uh, tenderness, uh, very curious. Anyway, uh, free association is my downfall. (laughs) Uh, I do recommend to you this movie that I'm still reeling from, Madam X. Uh, It's the most wonderful role I've ever seen Gladys George in. Gladys George is one of those old uh 1920s 30s and 40s actresses that everybody recognizes her when they see her but they don't really know her name and i think she was better than the majority of the actresses in her time and uh i guess i guess i think it isn't fair the way uh we only remember you know jo- Joan Crawford and Betty Davis uh Gladys George came down to uh, Laguna Beach when i was in high school and she did summer stock with us she played the lead in Born Yesterday, long before Judy Holliday made the movie. Uh, the local papers were very cruel to Gladys George. They saw her playing this um, young, uh, what is that, tart, or the mistress of the rich, the rich criminal. And uh, they said that the actress was somewhat, quote, long in the truth. I never forgot it. Beware, beware, actresses. The minute you give them an inch, you know they'll start start picking on you. At least that's gone out of fashion. It's no longer politically correct to mention the actresses' ages. Uh, all I remember was how uh, charming she was, Gladys George, and how she kept her gin in a perfume bottle on her dressing table. <laughs> anyway, I don't know why i uh can't seem to stay in the nineteenth century uh i think <laughs> I think i'm going to give up on the brontes at least by next week. I want to be up to at least gertrude Stein at least george sand uh i think yes I think that uh it's like it's like this the brontes are the uh The classic, the fundamental, the archaic uh, saints in my life. Uh, Then along comes the Apollonian, the uh, Dionysian, the wild and sensual ladies. Uh, Anyway, uh, Emily had a childhood kingdom, fantasy kingdom called uh, Kingdom of Gondal. Charlotte's kingdom was Angria. She wrote about this Byronic uh, world in which she and her brother Branwell uh, had romances. uh, (laughs) Their children, all uh, six of them, all the six Bronte children, put on plays, something I don't see so much of anymore. I used to put on all my plays out in the backyard on the tennis court, uh, (laughs) make the... Make the adults come out and bring their drinks and sit around and turn the big lights on. And we would put on a show. I usually played the king. Anyway, I think what I admire most about Emily is her complete contempt uh, for the games, the patriarchal games played by the men. Uh, She just ignored them. She didn't even bother to... Fight with them. As she says somewhere, I am Heathcliff. She doesn't have to uh, bicker about it. She just goes ahead and is power, uh, the essence of power. This master narrative that most of us still have, this tale of a warrior culture and patriarchal principles, and, you know, the heroes who go out and kill everybody and win. Uh, (laughs) She had absolutely nothing to do with that. She thought it was a complete waste of time. She has a terrific poem called, uh, No Coward Soul is Mine. And, uh, actually, it's mostly about her tyrannical father, but the best lines in it are, uh, here. Let's see. Emily Bronte's poem, No Coward Soul Is Mine, she writes. Vain are the thousand creeds that move men's hearts. Unutterably vain. Worthless as withered weeds or idlest froth amid the boundless main. <laughs> anyway. Oh, poor Emily was dead at 29. She had this wonderful dog called Keeper. He, uh, it is told, I'm not sure if it's true, he lay down on her grave, and uh, there he died. Talk about romantic. <laughs> anyway, uh, I think in the coming weeks, I'm going to have to contrast the Brontes with uh, that famous woman over in France. She was their contemporary, middle of the 19th century, the great George Sand. Uh, her name was Aurore Dupin. She was the antithesis. Let's think France in um contrast to England. Uh, of course, George Sand was not uh, Catholic necessarily. The uh, Bronte's were very Calvinist but uh, not in their hearts. I think Emily was a pagan. George Sand was rich, sophisticated, worldly, sensuous. Uh, She was maternal, unlike the Brontes. (laughs) She was a mother not just of her own two children, but of many, many others, and of her lovers, most memorably, the immortal composer Chopin. George Sand was a woman for all seasons. You know, the kind who lived to the limit body and soul, mind and heart. (laughs) There's a funny story. I was looking for it last night from uh, uh, Elizabeth Barrett Browning. She went to France with her good husband, Robert Browning, and they went to visit George Sand, curious, of course. They had heard so much about this woman who dressed as a man, and they said that she did smoke those little cigars they'd been told about, shocking for for the time, at least shocking to Elizabeth Barrett Browning, and she said that she was... A lovely woman, but that it was a shame that Madame Sand uh, surrounded herself with so many people of the, this is a quote, ragged red and lower theatrical types. (laughs) Bohemians, yes. You know, it's like these days, the beatniks, and then there are the uh, respectable writers. (laughs) Anyway, I think that George Sand's greatest work, is her life, uh, her story. She has a terrific uh, memoir called History of My Life, which I go back to again and again when I'm a little bit depressed by the sufferings of the women over uh, in England. You know how that is. And even Emily Dickinson here, all that repression and suppression and grief and loneliness. uh, Anyway... George and uh what is that what is the word for that uh she was um uh, hmm. uh we call them wild women yes let's just call her one of the wild women uh, i think that uh the text of her life is the thing best to study i i like some of the books but maybe it's lost in translation it just doesn't quite move me the way the Brontes uh, do. Everyone thought that George Sand was the ultimate, that she had it all. She had even a, a lesbian love affair with the most admired actress in France. She had all the publicity, all the grandeur. The Brontes didn't even know that they were good writers. Charlotte did have a little success, and she went to London a couple times and she was always too headachy and too miserable to really enjoy the party. Uh, Thackeray and the boys were <laughs> were a, a, a little, bit, um, little bit rude to her, you know. They made jokes about cigar smoke. In her book, she's always talking about uh, Rochester, the man that Jane Eyre loves, and uh, his presence is always uh, foreshadowed by his cigar smoke. D.H. Lawrence said that Charlotte Bronte's books were positively pornographic. I don't know. The tragic tale of the Brontes uh, is perfect for adolescents to study. But then, of course, when I was older, it hit me on an entirely different level. Uh, For these women, their art was their life. Uh, I blame poverty and male supremacy, but... uh, i think i think their books burn brighter for me not just because of their romanticism uh or even because of their intense suffering and loss uh it's just that they manage to use fantasy really use fantasy to lift them out of themselves huh. lifting Us out of ourselves is the sort of task that most of us, narcissists, neurotics, writers, is almost nearly impossible. We just don't know how. Uh, I think for the Brontes, it's all about their ambiance, their environment, uh, the soil that made them the Petri dish. You know, that's a place where art can grow or people can just die, you know. I always ask myself whether it's worth the price. I would say probably not. I think Charlotte Bronte would have been much happier if she'd had a few aspirin. Uh, she, she used leeches and a few other things. Anyway, I can't imagine living a life of such deprivation and actually desperation just to become an immortal artist Emily certainly uh, died before she knew she was successful, and Bronte, the youngest of the sisters. Uh, she was dead at age 29, knowing nothing but, of course, pain, suffering. Uh, her books, I think, should be used at AA meetings. The Tenet of Wildfell Hall is a book, I think... Well, let's see. Yes, it's for... Uh, it's a warning for women with alcoholic husbands and lovers. It's really a manual for uh, Al-Anon, How to Live with a Monster. Uh, I think, what is that? Uh, I think people don't like uh, Anne Bronte quite so much because she doesn't have the sadistic kick, the masculine vroom vroom that Emily put into wuthering heights ah uh, ah uh, charlotte brontë of course lived on until she was 39 she was all alone in that parsonage on the moors in haworth alone there with her father and with his his curate that irishman arthur bell nichols uh, <laughs> she married him the curate and in her letters she seems to have discovered what she called the reality of marriage. It was a bit of a shock. He was an ordinary enough fellow. Uh, When the biographies came out, uh, Elizabeth Gaskell's biography, apparently Arthur Nichols was completely unaware of the portrait she had drawn of him. Uh, Some of his friends did try to point out to him that it was not altogether flattering. (laughs) It's funny how how few... uh, How few people are willing to see themselves in the work of uh, the writers they admire. Uh, Anyway, Charlotte tried to become a respectable clergyman's wife. She tried to help women who were in trouble, fallen women. No, they were the ones that actually came to her funeral who mourned her. They appreciated her feminist efforts to make their lives more humane. Let's call it a women's shelter in Yorkshire, Haworth. Now, that's a novel. That would be a terrific play or movie. There is a movie called Devotion. I think it's dated 1940. Ida Lupino plays Emily Bronte, and uh, Olivia de Havilland played uh, Charlotte. I recommend it. Most people think it's sentimental bosh, and of course it is in the silly movie Devotion the plot centers around the notion that uh, Emily was in love with uh, uh, one of the young men, one of those curates, and that uh, he loved Charlotte. That sort of thing, you know. And uh, Charlotte, at some point late in her life, gets it. But I don't. I don't think Hollywood could handle anything more complicated than that. Uh, Charlotte's life ended when she became pregnant at the age of thirty-nine. It was too much for her consumptive constitution. She went out for a walk with her husband, caught a cold, and that was that. The 19th century was flooded with death and disease, but I don't know. uh, I'm beginning to wonder if it was that much worse than our time. Uh, Certainly, certainly it was. I think just the dentistry would be enough to, to dread those years Uh, George Sand of course had the means and the health to recover from most of nature's blows Uh, she lived into her 70s her death was positively dreadful but that uh, medicine in the 19th century that was always a horror story death omnipresent in the lives of the poor and the rich look around today but back then, back in the day, no antibiotics, no painkillers, except wine of the poppy. Yes, the tears of the poppy, laudanum, <laughs> and belladonna, deadly nightshade. They say that many of the, uh, uh, artists and poets of the time use a little bit, just a little bit of belladonna, simply to make themselves look pale and wan and, uh, you know, make the pupils of their eyes swell up and and glitter and gleam. Uh, Let's face it, it was a drug culture. Even Mary Wollstonecraft was very heavy on the drugs. Uh, And, of course, they drank. (laughs) I don't think the Bronte sisters indulged very much. Uh, Anyway, I want to talk a little bit about Wuthering Heights, Uh, Wuthering Heights is a psychodrama, a great poem about the unconscious. It's about neurotic love, the love which cannot grow up, cannot transcend childhood. The primal passions of the youthful pair in uh, Wuthering Heights, Kathy and Heathcliff, they cannot withstand the assault of society the civilized world of Victorian patriarchy. Uh, civilization and respectability is symbolized by the Lintons at Thrush Cross Grange. This local ruling class family is the essence of refinement. They guard their house with male bulldogs. Ha, <laughs> This bulldog symbolically rape Kathy when she tries to peek in at a window to watch the gentry at play, quote, The devil had seized her ankle. I heard his abominable snorting. She did not yell out, no, she would have scorned to do it. End of quote from the book. Heathcliff goes on to describe his efforts to shove a stone down the throat of the bulldog, but... His efforts are in vain. Violence gets you nowhere. <laughs> the barefoot Kathy is carried off into the seductive conference of soft living and privilege. Tell me about it. The book uh, is a poem, a great prose poem about the lives of women and men crushed by a society which demands they live a lie. Kathy was the victim of the Victorian feminine mystique. Like the Brontes themselves, she is uh, an invalid. She sinks into suicidal depression and dies, literally dies of womanhood. She's pregnant, too. Yes, that is to say, childbirth. Heathcliff sinks into aggression, into violence. Mm Mm-hmm. Yes, with the males, it's directed outward with the women it's directed towards themselves. Emily wrote this volcanic, powerful novel with her masculine self. Uh, Charlotte describes Emily's capacity to create titanic uh, creatures in her work. She writes, refusing absolutely to make ropes out of sea sand any longer, she sets to work on statue, statue hewing. Uh. (laughs) Oh, boy. I think, I think the best thing to do, since I've run out of time already again, oh, dear. (laughs) Oh, dear, oh, dear, oh, dear, oh, dear. Uh, I think the best thing we can do with these beautiful women, uh, is to talk about the ways in which they, what, uh, in which they struggled. I want to get back to the graves. The fact that these women uh, lost their two older sisters, Maria and Elizabeth, ages 11 and 12, when they were all young, uh, this, stamped them, haunted them for the rest of their lives. they died in eighteen twenty five These two sisters haunts the uh, haunts the story of their lives. These girls were sent to a school, an institution for the genteel poor. It served as a model for the Malevolent Girls' School in Jane Eyre. They had weak lungs, of course, and an epidemic of typhoid fever finished them off. What's curious to me is the fact that the father, Mr. Bronte, Patrick Bronte, then sent both Charlotte and Emily to attend this school until their ill health forced him to bring them home to Haworth. Apparently, it was all a question of money, 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 let's face it, folks. Uh, (laughs) The oldest child, Maria, is the model for the character of Helen Burns in Jane Eyre. She's a saintly child, her patience is quite maddening. She's punished ruthlessly for her untidy habits, and she dies more from neglect than illness. Now, by the time this same character, this sister, found her way into a Hollywood movie, her vice had become vanity, feminine vanity. You remember, Mr. Brocklehurst cuts off her uh, gold, her isn't golden locks, they're black, because it's Elizabeth Taylor, right? (laughs) I remember Orson Welles writing that he hadn't understood about... Uh, the attraction of very young girls until he saw little Elizabeth Taylor in Jane Eyre. He, of course, was playing the Byronic hero in the movie. Uh, Hollywood seems to think that the Victorians hated sex. Uh, A prepubescent Elizabeth Taylor stands all night in the rain to catch her death of cold. This vision of the Victorians as sexually repressed and suppressed is just as typical today. Uh, that film was made in 1943 and of course uh, Hollywood and uh, filmmakers all over the world continue to re-rewrite this story over and over uh, I have a long poem to finish off today but I'm afraid it's, it's just too much the Brontes overwhelm me uh we will never see their there like again. This has been Jennifer Stone. Be back on the air next Tuesday at this same time. Till then, go easy. And if you can't go easy, go as easy as you can. You are invited to a crab feed or tri-tip dinner. It's your choice. Saturday, April 26th, to benefit the Antioch Rivertown Jamboree. This event is being held at St. George's Social Hall. East 13th Amory Street in Antioch. Enjoy music, raffles, an auction, and more, including no-host drinks at six o'clock and dinner at seven p.m. This is community family fun time at the hall. Once again, that Saturday, April 26th, St. George's Social Hall, East 13th Amory Street in Antioch, for your choice of a crab feed or tri-tip dinner. This benefits the Antioch Rivertown Jamboree.